Today's reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 3, which is found on page 1175 of the Pew Bibles in front of you. A prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If you haven't met, my name is Ben. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that in Jesus you give us the fullness of your love and your light and your life. Please help us to see Jesus more clearly this morning, that we might follow him more nearly, for we are sat in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now, the question I want to open with this morning is, how do you know when someone loves you, right? Maybe they might give you a beautiful card uh, that tells you just how much they love you. Maybe they might bring you flowers. Uh, Maybe they might give you a great big hug. Uh, But one of the clearest ways, I think, to know that someone loves you Uh, is if they do a grand gesture. Uh, You know what a grand gesture is? It's uh, when someone does something extravagant, right, or puts in a massive effort, maybe they quit their job and move countries uh, to show how committed they are. Now, one of my favorite examples of a grand gesture happened a few few years ago now. Um, It's this guy, Isaac Lamb. There we go. Uh, So in 2012, um, he made arrangements... Uh, for his girlfriend at the time, Amy, to sit down in the back of a car, right? So the car started to go forward, so she was facing backwards. Um, And then all of a sudden, behind the car, um, all of Isaac's friends and family started doing this choreographed dance um, along to the song that was playing in Amy's headphones, right? And the song was Bruno Mars's Marry You, right? So you know where this is going now. Here's how it ended. How good is that? Oh my gosh. See, see, she said yes, by the way, just in case you're wondering. So, oh, how could you not after that? Now, um, I think at the end of that extravagant display uh, of love, um, Amy was really in no doubt that her now husband really did love her, that grand gesture that he showed her. Um, and so, to a very large extent, um, that is what I think the Apostle Paul uh, wants believers. Uh, to know about the Lord Jesus in his prayer. In this passage uh, today, he wants us to know just how much Jesus loves us. And um, as, as we've already shared, we're in the middle of a series uh, at the moment called Burning Hearts. 
Uh, And it's a series on revival. And as Bruce has been saying over the last few weeks, um, revival is a time when the Holy Spirit works in an intensified way uh, in His church and across history, in convicting and in converting, in filling people with joy and sending them out to serve and to proclaim the love of Jesus in the gospel. Um, In other words, revival is a time when people get transformed in a profound way by Jesus' love. You might say that revival is when personal renewal goes viral, okay? Uh, And it's happened all across history, as we've seen. Um, And so that's why we're looking at Paul's prayer today, um, because as a church, we are desperate, aren't we, to experience the love of God in a profound way in each of our hearts in this time here in Manly. I'm desperate, I trust. Uh, You are too. I mean, Bruce is. We've seen him on fire up here the last few weeks to see revival happen here in Manly. That's what I'm praying for, and I hope you are too. So let's look at um, our passage on um, personal renewal and revival uh, in the hearts of all believers that Paul prays for here in Ephesians 3. Um, In three headings, we're going to look at it. So first of all, knowing the love of Christ, what it means, why it's important, and how we can go deeper in knowing His love and knowing Him. Uh, So first, what it means uh, to know the love of Christ. Have a look with me, would you? Um, Chapter 3, verse 14. Um, It's on page 1175 if you've lost it. Ephesians 3, starting at verse 14. Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Now, um, in those days, in Paul's day, people mostly uh, stood and raised their hands for prayer. So to kneel before the Father was a sign of passionate desire for something. And that's what Paul desires. He passionately desires that believers come to know the love of Christ. So why? Uh, well, I think really he's, it looks like he's praying for lots of things, but I actually think he's praying for, for maybe one main thing in two parts. So Paul prays for power, verses 16 and 18, uh, that believers would know through the Holy Spirit the love of Christ, right? Verses 16 and 18. And likewise, uh, verses 17 and 18, he prays not just they would know, but it's through knowing they would grow to be more like Christ. Verse 17, he prays that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And I think it's the same idea as verse 19 of being filled. I think it's an increasing fullness of God as the work or, and the person, the life of Jesus uh, is more and more expressed and outwards into loving deeds and loving actions in believers. So I'll say more about that in just a moment, growing in maturity. But for now, I just want to focus on the first part, what it means through the power of the Holy Spirit to know the love of Christ. At the very least, uh, it means to intellectually know about the love of Jesus. So, uh, you know, you've got to read the Bible to know um, about the love of Jesus. Um, Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, says God to his people. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. Um, Similarly, Psalm 103 verse 11, God tells us, I think, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And this one blows my mind. John 15 verse 9, Jesus says to his disciples, I believe by extension to all of us, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, right? Just think about this for a second. For all eternity, the Father, as it were, has delight. He's been consumed with delight um, about the Son who is the exact image and representation of his being. He delights in the Son so much. And along comes Jesus and says, hey guys, to that extent, 
as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. It's absolutely incredible. But here's the key. Paul is not just praying we would know Christ's love intellectually. He goes and wants us to go deeper. He prays for the Holy Spirit to be working in our inner being, right? He prays that Christ would dwell in power in our hearts. So in other words, what Paul is praying for is not just that we would know about Christ's love, but that we would know Christ's love, right? That we would have a profound experience of Christ's love in both our heads and our hearts. So what exactly does this mean? Well, um, if you've been here during the last few weeks, you know that we've been spotlighting um, various historical revivals each week. Uh, this week, we're, uh, we're talking about Jonathan Edwards, right, from, um, from the 18th century. He's an American pastor and theologian. So just a warning, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the past for this reason. Um, I'm going to save my more contemporary examples of like, you know, Kanye West's experience of conversion for some other time. But, you know, just a heads up, we're in the past. Uh, this time we're talking about Edwards had some profound personal experiences of Christ's love. Um, He was also at the centre of two revivals in his own hometown. So he knew a lot about the difference between knowing about and knowing the love of Jesus. So here's how he puts it. He says, there is a difference. He says, it's one thing to believe that honey is sweet. Maybe someone can tell you. Maybe you can conduct experiments on the fructose and the glucose content of honey. He says, but it's a completely different thing to have a taste of its sweetness in your mouth. In the same way, Edward says, it's one thing to have a rational belief that God is holy and that Christ is love. He says, but it's a completely different thing to have a sense of his sweetness and the beauty of his holiness and love in your heart. Have a listen to what this looked like in Edward's own life. Um, By the way, before I read this, I want to say that... um, Don't think for a second that Edwards was just sort of soppy and prone to, you know, getting carried away by his emotions. He was was a genius, I think. Actually, he's been described as America's greatest theologian. So he was an intellectual giant, right? But still, listen to this beautiful union of head and heart. He says, Once, as I rode out into the woods for my health in, in 1737, having alighted from my horse in a retired place to walk for divine contemplation and prayer, He said, I had a view that for me was extraordinary, of the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man, and his wonderful, great, full, pure and sweet grace and love, and meek and gentle condescension. This grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent, with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and conception. Listen to this. Which continued as near as I can judge about an hour, which kept me in the greater part of that time in a flood of tears and weeping aloud. Friends, I think that this is exactly the kind of profound experience of Christ's love that Paul prays for believers to experience, right? That we not just have truth. You've got to have truth. You've got to know Jesus well through his scriptures, but not just have truth about Jesus, but that we'd have truth on fire, right? I think that's what the disciples experienced on the Emmaus Road when they said, were not our hearts burning within us? Likewise, I think that's what Peter means when he says in 1 Peter 8, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Okay, so that's what I think it means to know Christ's love, what Paul is praying for in the measurable dimensions that he talks about. Seeing and delighting in the beauty of Christ and experiencing the joy of his presence. Okay, so that's point one. Secondly, why then is this so important? Why does Paul pray for this? Um, Now, I'm aware, I've chatted to people in my growth groups, that not everyone has this kind of experience of the joyful presence and love of Jesus in their heart, certainly not to the same degree as Edward's. So I do want to hasten to say, Romans 10 verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? I don't want to take that away from anyone. That's the baseline of what it means to be a Christian. But something, uh, another a more recent American pastor, Francis Chan, said this week really struck me. Right? He says, I think the reason why we only kind of follow Jesus is because we only kind of have a sense of just how much he loves us. He says if we truly experience God's love for us, we'd be transformed. And I think that's what Paul is praying for here in uh, this passage. Verses 16 and 18, as we said, Paul prays that they they would know, right? And that they would grasp the immeasurable love of Christ for us. Why? Verses 17 and 19, so that Christ would dwell in our hearts. Verse 19, so that we filled to the measure of his fullness. You see, Paul's praying for Christians and he prays, Like, rather, his prayer just assumes that the more we know Christ's love, the more we'll grow to become like him. And that's why knowing Christ's love is so important, and that's why it's so practical. So how does this work? Well, I want to, again, draw on the experience of Jonathan Edwards, uh, this time to talk about the the revivals that happened in his own hometown of Northampton, Massachusetts. Um, So... First of all, in 1734 and 1735, um, there was a revival, and it was especially among the young adults uh, who used to get up to no good uh, in the town. Um, But the catalyst was that one of their number, a young man, suddenly died of pleurisy, and everyone was shocked. They were just filled with a sense of their own mortality and the fragility of their own standing before God. And at this, this young man's funeral, Edward preached. Edwards preached from Psalm 90 about how people are like grass, you know, which is here today and kind of gone tomorrow. Um, And then he preached the gospel and all the people were just filled, right, with with tears, uh, with deep conviction of sin, but also with deep deep joy uh, that they had a Savior who loved them and died for them. And so within just a few months, um, like almost the whole town was converted. About 300 people who weren't yet already Christian became Christian and they started going to church. And Edwards remarked at how all the people's hearts were just filled with joy. Um, Some broke down in uncontrollable laughter. Um, Others were just weeping in floods of tears during the sermon uh, and so on. Um, Edwards says that many forgot to eat food uh, because their minds have been entertained with meat to eat that others knew not of. Um, people stopped going to the local tavern, and they all started to go to Edwards's house and other places for prayer and Bible study. It just made me think, imagine, um, you know, revival, this kind of revival broke out here in Manly, like, you know, the stay in the Ivanhoe, the New Brighton Hotel, that will be empty uh, of their people, and they'd all be, like, rocking up at Bruce and Kath's place, going, hey, can we, like, study the Bible, can we pray? I wonder if Bruce is ready for that, um, if that's going to happen, that would be awesome. 
And um, also, Edward says, in the thicker revival, there was no one sick. There was this miraculous season of health. Um, But most remarkable of all, people were filled with this extraordinary love for each other and this intense longing uh, to see their family and friends come to know Jesus. Um, So that was in uh, 1734, 1735. The second revival uh, came in the early 1740s as part of the Great Awakening, uh, which was where uh, God did this amazing thing across, um, you know, northeast England, uh, sorry, northeast New England, northeast America. Um, And uh, people like George Whitfield uh, from England and others preached up a storm. Thousands got converted, including in Edwards' own Northampton. Um, and w- Edwards again witnessed a, a powerful transformation of people's character. Okay, so that was Edwards' experience of a revival. But my question is, in all of this, what did he learn from it above all? Well, um, Edwards' main reflection on revival was this book, uh, Religious Affections. Um, Edwards talks there about how it's kind of obvious, but really all the things we do, all our actions, really are motivated by the things we most love, right? Maybe the things we most value, the things we most fear, the things we most hate. That's what he calls affections. Edward's key insight um, is that the obedience that God truly is pleased with um, are holy actions motivated by holy affections, right? By actions motivated by a heart on fire for Jesus and filled with his love. Um, So as Edward puts it like this, he says, that which people love, they desire to have and to be united to and possessed of. Just think of a, a young man or a young woman in love, right? They, they desire to, to be with them. They're so captivated by their beauty, right? It's the same in the spiritual life. That beauty which people delight in, they desire to be adorned with. Those acts which men, or which people delight in, they necessarily incline to do. The crucial idea here is this. Let me sum it up. The more you delight in Jesus's love, the more you'll want to love like him. In other words, the more attracted you are to Christ and the beauty of his holiness, the more you'll want to be with him and be like him. Again, just think of two people in love. You know, you notice how they start to find out what the other loves and try to kind of give that to them or become like them even as well. Oh, you like that music? Oh, I'm going to listen to that music too. You like, you know, opera? Okay, I'm going to come along to opera. You know, the, that which we delight in, we, we want to love in loving the other person, we want to love what they love as well. Um, actually, one of the greatest examples I can think of uh, is the uh, 1997 movie, um, As Good As It Gets. It's about this guy called Melvin. Uh, Melvin is a famous writer, but he's actually really awkward. Um, he struggles with OCD, and he's really difficult to be around. He's always negative. Um, <clears throat> and then his life is transformed when he meets this woman called Carol. Um, Carol is just you know, beautiful on the inside and out, and he's captivated by her beauty. Um, and they go on this date um, against her better judgment, actually. And uh, Melvin says, hey, I want to pay you a compliment. And she's like, oh, she's a bit nervous because like, she knows what he's like. She's like, oh, she's, she's worried he's going to say something really rude. And then um, Melvin starts rambling about oh, how he hates taking pills. And um, he goes, but after meeting you, I've started taking my pills. And she's like, well, I don't see how that's a compliment for me. Um, Then Melvin pauses and he delivers one of the greatest lines, I think, in cinema. He says, you make me want to be a better man. (laughs) And she just looks at him with this face and she just says, that's probably the best compliment of my life. And it is. Friends, is that not the case with Jesus? Um, That the more you experience of his love, 
Um, the more captivated you are by the beauty of His holiness and to see the way He loves in the Gospels, but also the way He loves you, do you not want to be a better man or a better woman in the light of His glorious grace? That's why I think knowing Christ's love is so crucial to growing in Christ-likeness. Thirdly, how then do we know Him deeper if it's so important and so practical? Um, look, if you're really observant, you would have noticed a little paradox um, in Paul's prayer here in verse 19. Paul prays that we would know Christ's love, and then he says, oh, and it's a love that surpasses knowledge. Um, and you're like, what? Now, what I think this means um, is that we can't know Christ's love exhaustively, but, right, in that sense it's, you know, surpasses knowledge, but we can know Christ's love truly. Let me explain. It's a little bit like this. Imagine, uh, you know, you went out after the service and then you, you popped on down the Corso and dove into, um, into the ocean. At that moment, you would be having a true experience of the Pacific Ocean, would you not? Right? But, of course, it wouldn't be an exhaustive experience. Um, you know, you could swim for months and months and months and there'd be more of the Pacific Ocean having true experiences of the Pacific Ocean to explore and, and, and feel. Um, that would be exhausting, but it wouldn't be exhaustive, you see, because there'd be more and more to explore, more length, more width, more height and more depth. And it's the same with the love of Jesus. Friends, it doesn't matter where you're at right now uh, with Jesus and experiencing his love. There is always more. By the way, that's why I think heaven's never going to be boring. There's always more and more and more of the love of Jesus to experience. So then, with that in mind, how do we go deeper into knowing Him? First of all, I would say we study His Word. If you aren't experiencing, right, in an intimate way, the joy uh, of Jesus' love for you, it may well be simply because you don't spend quality time in the Word, in studying the Bible. Um, you cannot really know the Lord of the Word unless you spend time in the Word of the Lord, right? So I want to encourage you, read your Bible. Like, maybe try to go morning and night. That's, that's, that's great, even for busy people. But don't just read it, like, you know, just flicking your eyes over it or whatever. Like, study it, like, meditate on it, contemplate it. Um, here's one suggestion I thought of this week. Maybe as you read your Bible, not just the promises of Jesus saying, declaring his love, but also the commands, right? See if you can see Jesus on every page, right? So perhaps, you know that uh, 1 Corinthians 13 passage that's kind of famous that we uh, read out at weddings, love is patient, love is kind. In a sense, that's actually a command that, that we would love one another and be patient and be kind. But, so definitely do that as you read it. But here's another thought. Why don't you, as you read it, Replace the word love with Jesus. You see, Jesus is love incarnate. So it would go something like this as you read it. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy or boast. He is not easily angered, even when you and I sin. He keeps no record of wrongs. He always protects you. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. Friends, if you read the Bible like that, all of a sudden you're reading a different Bible, right? You know, it's just going to come alive with the beauty of God's holiness and Christ's love for you. It's going to be amazing, I hope. So the more you see Christ in his commands, I would say the more you'll obey the commands of Christ. He only ever gives you commands for your good and my good so that we would become more like him. So study his word. Secondly, speak to Jesus. Um, we all know that relationships really only ever grow 
through communication. So just as like the Bible is how God mainly speaks to us, prayer is how we mainly speak to God. So what then should we speak to God about? I want to say there, there is nothing wrong uh, with praying for health and success and, you know, happiness. But if you do want to go deeper in experiencing Christ's love, I want to urge you, pray Christ-centered prayers, right? If you want Christ in your heart, pray what's at the heart of Christ. And what's that? Well, that's what Paul prays. He prays that we might go deeper in knowing Christ, right? So that we go deeper in Christ-likeness. Why does he pray all that? Well, ultimately, verse 21, if you look there with me, it's so that God would get the glory in the church. What Paul, I think, is praying for here is that he has a vision, right? He's a burning heart to see more and more people living lives of love and displaying the beauty of God's holiness all around the world as his kingdom is, uh, comes down, as his will is done. We get the joy, right? We get the growth, but God gets the glory, so that's the kind of thing I think God wants us to pray for especially. And it stems from a heart filled with the love of Jesus and a desire for his glory. I love what Jonathan Edwards says. He says, Prayer seems to be natural to me as the breath by which the inward burnings of my heart had vent. Right? You've got to have divine contemplation through studying his word and then expressed the burning heart of love for Jesus expressed in prayer. Okay, uh, how do we know Jesus deeper? Thirdly, we spend uh, time and we speak about Jesus with other Christians. One of the things that really struck me about the revival that Edwards experienced in his day uh, was that people didn't all just sort of disappear into their own world or off into the woods, uh, you know, to have an encounter with Jesus. Well, that, that's a great thing to do. Edwards did it. Uh, it's great to spend time alone with God. Uh, but what especially struck me is that people started meeting together <laughs> Right? They started talking about uh, Jesus to one another and they started talk, praying to Jesus with one another. And if we want to grow deeper in knowing his love, you know, one of the greatest gifts God gives us actually is each other. That's why we read here in verse 18, I think, um, that Paul says that we would have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp Christ's love. Uh, if you did want to flick over to have a look over to chapter 4, that's what Paul's praying for. He, he you know, when Jesus ascended, he poured out gifts to one another. Or maybe we are those gifts that God has poured out to one another, for one another. Why? So that we would build each other up in love. And what's the ultimate goal? He says in chapter 4, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, which is what Paul's praying for here, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ together. Okay, so C.S. Lewis says something really interesting um, in his book, The Four Loves. He says, um, he, he talks about how it's as we come and talk together about Jesus, we actually have a greater vision of Christ's love than we would as individuals. C.S. Lewis says, for every soul seeing Jesus in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim, uh, that's angels, in Isaiah's vision, are crying, holy, 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 to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall all have. Friends, there's nothing wrong after the service with chatting about the rugby results and the weather and the state of the property market. Um, but gosh, Jesus is so much worthier, isn't he, of our conversation and our contemplation. So finally, if you want to grow in knowing Jesus' love deeper, 
I want to urge you finally, give your life completely to him. I dare say that if you're not experiencing the joyful presence of Christ's love for you in your life, it's probably mostly because you still haven't given your heart fully to him. It's as it were, you still have one foot on the pier, one foot on the boat, one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. And by that I mean talking about in where you invest your hopes and your happiness. I think the main reason Edwards reached the depths of spiritual experience that he did is because he fully invested his happiness in Jesus. Have a listen to what he says, uh, 1723. He says, This morning I have been before God and have given myself all that I am and have to God, so that I am not in any respect my own. I have this morning told God that I did take him for my whole portion and happiness, looking on nothing else as any part of my happiness, nor acting as if it were. And I did take his law for the constant rule of my obedience. Now, I suspect some of us are thinking, yeah, that's very extreme. That's kind of like Christianity Plus. That's not for me. But you know what? The Apostle Paul um, says and assumes that this really should just be the case for all Christians. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15, he says, Christ died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The Lord Jesus says, you cannot be disciple unless you deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. You've got to die to your old desires, your old goals, your old self, he says, and put on the person of Christ at work in your life. As a minister, um, one of my greatest privileges is to officiate at weddings. As I'm sure you all know, there's this place in the marriage ceremony where um, the minister asks the bride and the groom, he says, will you give yourself, forsaking all others, as long as you both shall live? And a married couple will never grow in intimacy and joy unless both of them truly do forsake all others and give themselves wholeheartedly to the other. And I think it's exactly the same in our spiritual marriage, as it were, with Jesus. Friends, if you want to know Jesus deeply, if you want to know the depths of his love in increasing measure, I urge you, forsake all others. Cast off the sin that so easily ensnares and give your life completely to him. Why? Because he loves you, right? Because he's worth it. And because ultimately he has given his life completely for you. God doesn't just tell us how much he loves us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, there is no greater grand gesture of love than the death of Jesus taking upon himself the penalty our sins deserve on the cross. If you want to go deeper in knowing Christ's love, keep gazing on the cross. Never go past the cross. Always fix your eyes on the love of Jesus for you on the cross. You see, because it's on the cross we see the immeasurable height and the depth and the width and the length of the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. At the end of the service, we're going to have a time of prayer. And I want to encourage you, you might like to come forward for prayer uh, you might like to stay where you are, just with those around you, and spend some time praying. I encourage you to pray for anything. But in particular, maybe today, 
is the day you want to become a Christian for the first time. You want to receive this amazing love that he has for you. That would be an amazing thing to pray for. There's going to be prayer partners down the front um, or pray with the person you came with. But for everyone else, I really want to encourage you to continue, as a meal's done, to continue to pray Paul's prayer for us that we would grow in knowing Jesus and grow in becoming more like him. Just a moment, we're going to have an item which is going to just celebrate the beauty of God's character and his holiness and the joy that's to be found in him. But before they come out, I want to close with a quote from Edwards. Maybe I might say, as the band comes out, there's a little prompt. Here's what Edwards says. He says, The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Earthly joys are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is the substance. Earthly joys are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Let's pray. Father, please empower us by your Spirit to find our true heart's joy in the ocean of Christ's love for us. We pray that as we do so, we might grow to be more like him so that you would get the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Father, bring revival here in Manly. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I'm going to sing a song of reflection, reflecting on the love of God. And we're going to sing the final song together. By this one, you can just sit Reflect to these words.